Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Hi, welcome to Missed Apex Podcast, powered by SpannersReady.com, bringing you F1 news, blogs, reviews, podcasts, and occasionally news. Today's episode is called, Here's to All the Dolphin Trainers. I'm your host, Spanners Ready, and I'm joined by... Reminiscing this and that, having such a good time. Oodalati, oodalati, golly, what a day. It's Matt. Two rumpets. How's it going, Matt? Are you kidding me? How's it going? It has never gone better. Why? Are you on some kind of drug? No, no. One of, one of, one of our fateful followers on Twitter turned me on to a three-hour podcast all about aerodynamics and engineering at the uh, <laughs> Toyota wind tunnel in Cologne. And I've just been going through it on my, grinding through it on my daily commute, and it is fantastic. Well, that's interesting. I didn't know there were other F1 podcasts. Uh, this isn't. It's an engineering and science podcast. But Phew. he went... He, he he went to the Toyota wind tunnel and huge interviews all about the WEC and testing rigs and where to put the sensors and problems with boundary flow. Everything that you love to hear about. I know. If, if, if it just had a big section on tires, that would be me completely sold. Oh, you know, it's funny. They did talk about tires. Oh, how interesting. Look, I need to clear something up. <laughs> I, need, I need to clear something up because it keeps coming back to bite me. There are a lot of ping pong references in response to things I say on Twitter. So let me clarify completely that I was not comparing Formula One to ping pong. It was just an analogy where I was saying the table was like the apex. And like in ping pong, I don't mind where you go as long as you come back to the apex. But isn't an analogy a form of comparison? Curse you and your completely correct statement. Hey, we've got a fantastic show coming up tonight. Obviously, we've got loads of news to discuss. We've got a great panel. And also, you and me in the week, well, you got up at 6 a.m. American time to catch up with Jordan King, development driver for Manor. 
Yes, and that was a fascinating chat. What else have we got, Matt? We are also changing the way we do the live stream. So we need to warn our live streamers that this may be the last time we appear on Ustream. We are moving to YouTube using different live stream uh, format. You'll still find it at spannersready.com forward slash live stream. However, it might be a YouTube embed. And then to get the chat, you'll have to click on YouTube. And do you know why I'm doing this, Matthew? Uh, I'm presuming so we can actually make some money at this thing. Money? Yeah, that's what I'm in this for. Money, fame, and attention. Uh, no, because some of you may have noticed, some of you Downforce fans, that today Jake Sanson launched his Downforce TV. Obviously, the definition of TV has broadened somewhat over the years. It's on the internet, but it's called TV. And he has been broadcasting live from some race events. It looked like some kind of rallycross dealy. I know there'll be some stock car stuff on there. And it'll be uh, a full-time video streaming service with motorsport content. So I'm working hard to persuade Jake Sanson that Missed Apex Podcast's live stream with these talking heads right here is good enough to appear on his station. So look smart, lads. Matt has no opinion on that. <laughs> oh, oh, look smart. I thought that we were looking smart. I didn't re realize that required audio commentary. Okay. So, and also I want to thank the members who have joined in on the forum at spannersready.com forward slash members to get that link and password. All you need to do is become a Patreon and the kind people who have donated on Patreon um, are in there now with a little chat forum. So I will, I will go to that later. For those of you just finding us, we are an independent podcast hosted by spannersready.com, the home of F1 articles and shortly some Formula E stuff too. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Also, this show is safe for work. We're keeping it clean here so you can play this with kids in the background or in the car and at work. Should we do this alone, Matt? I say we invite some friends. Our best friends are from BadgerGP.com. F1 isn't boring, is it, editor Craig Norman? It isn't. Evening Spanners. Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me back. Glad to have you back because we definitely want your opinion on Bleepgate in just a moment. Oh, I've got my finger hovering above the big red bleep button as we speak. Remember, ready this, for it. this is safe for work, Craig. I can I can see your your sweary muscles in your throat warming up. <laughs> and it's been too long for our next guest. It's Vortex Mortio over there in the United States, fresh from his ballot box experience, I, I assume. Uh, no, <clears throat> actually, I have not yet voted, um, but I did change the oil in one of my cars yesterday. And I was listening to that same podcast that Matt was talking about. Oh, God. Three hours long, but it was fantastic. Love it. That oh, sounds. It, it is. That's just a wealth of useful technical information. And rounding us off, we have Ryan Ferretferris, fresh from the Simply Race 24 hour virtual sim racing contest. How's it going, Ryan? It's going great, but I'd like to add uh, Vortex, if it takes three hours to, for oil to drain out of your car, I think you need it checked. <laughs> <laughs> it was it was a little chocolatey. I was embarrassed. It had been perhaps a little too long <laughs> since I changed it, but it didn't take three hours. I've only got through two hours out of that three-hour uh, podcast. It really is fantastic. Speaking of things going slowly for three hours, how was your stint in the Simply Race 24-hour? Uh, it was okay, I guess. I mean, uh, I had uh, one or two off-track excursions. Uh, I got taken out as well by a BMW because, you know, it's always got to be BMWs that take you out. I found that you were actually on YouTube with this race, and I watched some of it, and I actually happened to tune in right when your stint began. 
And so I have some questions for you because I wasn't able to watch uninterrupted. I watched for a while and you were on the lead lap and then I had to go do a thing. And when I came back, you were two laps down. So my first question is what happened there? <laughs> I got, um, take, I got taken out in, I believe I wasn't, I wasn't on the lead lap when I started the stint. I believe I was somewhere around a lap or two laps down. We had a few instances where back markers took us out and essentially that was just the story of our race uh we got taken out best part of five times by back markers so if we didn't have bad luck we wouldn't have had any luck at all and, and of course that was entirely their fault you were never trying a risky overtake in the middle of the night to gain a lap back <laughs> on the leaders i am sure and then the other thing is 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 after i watched a little bit more i had to go away and then i came back 15 hours later and the race was over and somehow bradley philpott's team had won and you guys were way at the back so like exactly what happened there you disgraced downforce radio that's what happened let's move on to some news well it's kind of old news now but i tell you whose opinion we didn't get on bleepgate and that is the official voice, as far as we're concerned, of Badger GP. Now, Craig, we'll set the scene for Mr. Apex-wise, in case you didn't catch the Mexico review. Me and Matt unbelievably didn't agree on a subject. Um, Matt got personal. I'm I, shocked. I'm in shock and awe that I, you did not agree on something. I kept it. Unbelievable. Quite, I kept it to the topic. I, I kept it. I like to think that I, I stuck to the facts and my opinion. Matt got rather personal. I think that Vettel behaved in a somewhat disgraceful manner. Manner. Trumpets thinks that no big deal. This kind of thing happens every day. What's the Badger GP line? Um, I'm going to go with you, Spanners, to be honest. I um, I think it was disrespectful and a little bit out of order. But it was only because it was broadcast that we heard it. So I think it lies with FOM because they broadcast it in the first place and then they didn't slap his wrists afterwards there was always some sort of you know in the heat of the moment these things happen but you don't have a go at the referee you yeah. don't see you see footballers having a go at the referee but the swearing should be really what they should be cracking down on and it, it, f1 itself needs to be it needs to be drawing in younger viewers and things like that and it didn't help that whatsoever and see, right away, I have to take issue with the characterization of him going at the referee. He didn't go at the referee because he was talking to his race engineer. He was complaining about the lack of a call. And then when it got broadcast, that's when it made it. It's not like he walked up to Charlie Whiting in person and said those words. That would have been entirely a different situation. He was having a chat. Well, not a chat, more of a rant, really, with his race <laughs> engineer. And that got broadcast. Oh, come Fair on. enough. He should have known it would have been broadcast because they've been broadcasting his stuff all year long. But still, it was not necessarily aimed directly at Charlie, but more an expression of his frustration. But having said that, I saw that erstwhile almost kind of sort of friend of the show, Julian Palmer, said that he got dinged for calling Canamasis, an effing idiot. And uh, well, aside from the perhaps truth of that statement, he got in big trouble for using that language. So so maybe it is something where just in motorsports, they have been very strict about that language, which is different to the kind of sorts of things we generally get to see over here. 
Okay, so fair enough. There are two issues. One is, he, did he say it and why was why on earth was it broadcast? That does seem like a bad decision. I, I absolutely agree. But there's no way he didn't know that that was going to be broadcast. He absolutely knew he was talking to the world. Because, Craig, I think you, you made a fantastic point on Twitter. You said, well, up and down the country or up or around the world now, you're going to have young Carters just gobbing off at race stewards and marshals. Yeah, it's it's become systemic. If that, if you consider to have bad language in there, it becomes acceptable, and it became acceptable in other sports, and now it's crept into motorsport. But it's a grey area. Motorsports never had this before because we're in a new era of radio messages being broadcast, not just because of the information that the engineers, race engineers, are giving their drivers, and either way, it's everything. Now we heard on the Saturday before Sebastian Vettel asking to go to the toilet. Would they have broadcast that five years ago, ten years ago? No, they're going to broadcast that now because F1 is in desperate need of entertainment. <laughs> so that's there's, that stuff's going to prop up. Um, I just just going back to one point that Matt made about the race engineer. That's he was the go between between Charlie and Vettel. So Charlie wanted the information to go to Vettel. It went to the race engineer, and then Vettel responds to the race engineer's prompting. So he was the middleman, and he was relaying the information across. So I can see where you're coming from with it, but I don't necessarily agree with that. Yeah, the uh, it really was to do with entertainment value purely because my mum and dad, they have keep telling me every time I sit down to watch F1, why do you watch this? It's boring. I'd rather sit and watch paint dry, yada yada stuff along that those lines. But then when that stuff started kicking off in team radio, they actually sat down and started watching it and was like sat laughing and finding it entertaining. And to be honest, I found it quite entertaining myself. But um yeah, it I've is what it mine. is. A friend of mine on Twitter um, retweeted one of my tweets from the race, and when I replied to him saying, "What are you doing? You're a football fan more than anything else. You never, you only talk to me about F1 when you see me, and it's usually like, why do they not crash anymore?" He immediately was like, "Oh yeah, I'm getting into it now because they swear all the time." I'm uh... like, "Well, that's not what it's for." <laughs> I I think so. I this is Ken um, Vortex Modio, but I I just want to I I think Matt's point is integral is that. This is uh, these are dialogues between the drivers and their engineers, and so at the end of the day, if um, there's some words that need to be bleeped out or something like that, then bleep them out. I I don't really think this is primary to the future of F1 or all that important, candidly, and I I don't care either way whether Vettel is fined or not. I, I think it's much ado about about nothing but in general it, it is good that these conversations are broadcast because of of what um both of you have just said that people who weren't interested in f1 are listening to f1 and then number two i thought it was just from the drama point of view it was most indicative of a driver and a team failing to meet their goals that uh, and, and as we saw, he ended up losing a podium position because he broke the rules at the very end of the race as well. And it just showed that his his game in his head was completely rattled and he was way off the charts. Very surprising for a four-time world champion, but um, I thought it was more dramatic just for being an indicator of where that man's head was for performance. I'll let Matt have the last word. I just want to say that 
you could have all that drama, you could have all that emotion and passion coming out without habitually using expletives. And it's a very easy habit to get out of. As anybody who has a baby will tell you, you swear like a sailor until they're about two or three. And then you think, oh, no, I'm setting a terrible example here. It would not take long to say, guys, just get used to using some softer language and it would be fine. And you'd still get exactly the same effect, except you wouldn't be penalizing parents and putting them in awkward positions where they have to learn stuff. Right. So the first point I want to make is here it is a week later and we're still talking about it. So entertainment, narrative and usefulness utterly established. Well, we could do. Wait a minute. Wait, like no, no, this. no. We could also do that with topless good girls. We could do exactly the same thing. And I assume that you would disagree with that. We could do exactly the uh, same. And we'd still we'd be talking about it for years. So if, if controversy is all you want, you know, yeehaw, we can do that. We can do that yeah, anyway. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. We we could do that, or, or we could do that with bottomless grid boys, for that matter. <laughs> hey, I don't mind. It's 2016. 2016, I don't mind. I don't want you to, you know, poor Jeff but, and Dave. But the, the difference is there are broadcast standards, and in most countries you can't broadcast people who are entirely nude. Witness our Super Bowl a uh, number of years ago, where just a tiny little peak of a certain, well, fairly normal piece of human anatomy engendered months of controversy that was a wardrobe but malfunction it wasn't her fault i will it was a wardrobe malfunction supposedly allegedly there we go did <laughs> i do that right i did, did that right anyway allegedly it was a wardrobe malfunction but the language is bleeped out no offending words were broadcast to anyone however the emotional tenor of the call was clear and i i'm very much in agreement with vortex that it 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 really opens a window into just how frustrated that team and that driver are at this time due to their championship position and difficulties they're having. Absolutely true. Go and listen to Mad World by Cherry Sunday on the Missed Apex feed in case you missed it. It's heavenly. Speaking of heavenly opportunities in very, very bad ways to go into a new segment, uh, Lance Stroll has probably spent a reported $85 million on his Formula One seat. Now, that's just not money paid to Williams. That is money paid in preparation fees, reportedly having a 2014 Williams. So if you look at it, he might have spent £15 million before that in his racing career, having bought into every race team he's raced in. But he comes out and decides to volunteer the information that he is most definitely not a pay driver. I'm going to go to you first, Craig from Badger GP. How can you have a nine-figure amount spent on you and have the audacity, talented or not, to say that you are not a pay driver? That's that's the epitome of defensive mode right there. Just... He's obviously been posed the question that he will be seen yeah. as one. There's no harm in saying it in these days. Over all of his rivals, not only has he won every series he's been in, which he's rightly pointed out, but if he can have that financial edge over all the other drivers that are in that category, then he might as well use it and take it. Um, it's, you've got to take, you've got to take a look back that there are some drivers in the history of sport that have forgotten that they are pay drivers. Yeah. Nicky Lauder bought his first F1 seat. Ayrton Senna had a sponsor the entire time. He was in Formula One with National Bank. These guys do get backing somewhere down the line. If this guy's got the money to do it, he might as well have that edge over everyone else. He's a talented driver anyway. This isn't the mid-90s where you get some billionaire playboy going, I'll have a go at that. 
Pedro Diniz rocks up at Monaco and spins it round all the time. But Pedro Diniz was a good driver by the end of it. I'm thinking end, like yeah. guys that just rocked up and did one or two races disappeared. This this guy has got racing pedigree, but he's got an edge in the financial way. And the way motorsport is, he's going to get that seat. But has he missed a golden opportunity to just shut up and not say anything and drive? There must have been a better way of answering the question. He could have just said, you know, yes, I come in with this significant amount of financial backing. But I feel that given that, I've proved myself along the way. The, the sort of the implication is a lot of times with, I guess, privileged people don't maybe realise they're in a position of privilege. The implications seem to be, I'd have done it anyway. Maybe. Maybe so. It depends how the question was posed to him. If they were like, would you would you be, be seen as a pay driver coming in like this? He might get defensive to that straight away. I didn't see what the question was, but we all know the answer. It depends yeah, how that was worded. Yeah. The reporting could be an issue, Matt. Yeah. No. Is he a pay driver? Well, you know, it depends on your definition of a pay driver. Is being a pay driver like that bad when you when you have talent to go with it? Well, again, you know, Craig has already pointed out some very important historical drivers who started out essentially the same way. But I'll tell you what interests me about this is in essence, he has by spending that umpty million dollars bought himself the kind of testing we haven't seen since a young Lewis Hamilton entered the sport. And I, for one, am just curious as all get out to see what difference it makes when he hits the track next season. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's, it's so hard to get track running at the moment that if he can spend the money to get it, get it. And he's going to have, again, he's going to have another edge to himself coming onto the, onto the grid next year. That's meant to be a K for you, Ken. Sorry. It looks like a G. Yeah, that was the most clever K I've seen. But um, yeah, I, I so uh, it, actually, Craig has really um, framed this uh, very well, I think, in that in some ways, paid driver is a very derogatory term. And so if a journalist has presented that to him, it's, uh, it is a very um, harsh way um, to treat, I think, any driver in F1, because really, it, there there are no drivers in F1 who are not paid drivers. They they all are bringing sponsorship packages, whether it's direct or indirect. They're they're that's part of the game. I mean, you can have very talented drivers, and if they can't get sponsorship dollars to back them, they're not in F1. And so I think it was you, Spanners, that wrote the, um, somebody wrote an article that tried to um, enumerate how if you bring in more money, then at, at the end of the day, it's all about how much does that extra tenth per lap, is that going to cost the yeah, team? Yeah, no, I did, And yeah. so, did, was that your work? It was, yeah. So, it, it, it's just a brilliant topic, and I and I I should take this opportunity to plug the articles on SpannersReady.com, <laughs> which you. I don't do often enough, obviously. But um, point is, is that I I agree very much with that point of view, and that if I'm managing a team and I'm choosing a driver, that's how you rationally want to to balance it. Is is this guy that we're going to bring in, this guy or gal, is this driver going to be is, is he or she going to be have that extra tenth of lap speed? And if they are, then that's worth X millions of dollars in budget. But is this driver bringing in X millions of dollars of budget? Well, that can be worth a tenth in engineering 
of that that uh, lap time. It absolutely can. And you're right, pay driver might be a derogatory term, but what I don't like is how come it's okay for other pay drivers to call pay drivers pay drivers? And they even say it in songs. Oh, no, that's a different subject. Craig? Uh, how many times can you say pay driver in a sentence? That, that was, was amazing. four. That was good. Um, yeah. I'm going to make it a wrap. That's mad. Um, I've, I've been watching Fallout for a very long, very long time, and I've been covering it for about five or six years, and I've been having this conversation every single year. I had this conversation when Petrov came in. I had this conversation when Maldonado came in. I had this pe- conversation when even Magnussen came back to the grid. It's, it's a new way of picking your drivers is to look at their sponsorship package. And if they can provide that and be a decent enough driver to score you points here or there, you're going to take the risk on the guy that gives you more money. Yeah. That's going to happen these days. And it's we every time the pay driver tag comes up and it's a derogatory term, it's because of what's happened in the past. I think we're entering into a new, again, a new era of the sport where you might get really talented drivers that are going to be, they're not going to have um, shootouts when it comes to sticking them in the same car and see who goes fastest anymore. They're going to look at the bank balances. Yeah, but for for okay, for, first of all, Lance Stroll is something different. We have not seen nine-figure entry fees into Formula One before, and this is just for season one. Secondly, some of his comments, though, still even in the context of people being paid drivers and needing to bring sponsorship in, he's talking about no, I've earned my place, and I just I fear for him. I don't know if he's got. He seems like he's got a social media manager. He seems like he's got press officers. To me, that's the wrong thing to say. Well, I've earned my place because he's he's very much been been backed and he's very much had an advantage over his competitors. And it would just, you know, a hint of humility, just to acknowledge that you've had a competitive advantage throughout your career might not have gone astray. But then if he's had years and years and years of somebody going, you're only here because of your money, he's going to end up reacting to it being in a defensive very, yes in a very defensive so. way yeah. right well erstwhile friend or at least occasional appearer on the show will buxton sometimes <laughs> back tweeted out that if you tweeted out basically that lance stroll and his attitude will make max verstappen appear positively <laughs> humble i i fear that <laughs> so I, I i i am not sure any of your well-intentioned advice is going to fall on anything other than deaf ears. He is the son of a very, 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 very rich person. Yeah. And he is, he has been, yes, he's been incredibly advantaged, but with that advantage, he has had a lot of success. So, no, no. I, I, so I, I'm, I'm going to disagree with both of you. I think looking at his attitude, that, that's not most important at all. It, it, in, in F1, a, a drive that it is so competitive that a driver has to have massive amounts of confidence, right? So the fact that he reacts that way to a, a question, I I I don't have too much problem with that because I expect a driver at that competitive level to have the confidence to say, no, I I have proven abilities, and he he'll point to his performance record. What what I really expect though is that. I, going back to spent to the issue that Spanners had in his article, balancing performance versus how much money a team can, uh, how much money a driver can bring to a team. What <laughs> I have very low expectations of Lance, and so interesting. And, and having seen what he's done in the last two years in Formula Three, uh, he he um, can be erratic. 
and he looks to me like he has some, somebody that's received a fair amount of driver coaching to try to improve upon his ability to compete wheel to wheel. And I have not had um, as much time to watch Formula 3 this year as I've had in the past, but I've seen a little bit of him and I'm not convinced that he can still compete well wheel to wheel. So what I'm expecting is that uh, candidly that he's going to fall into the shoes of a former driver who earned that uh, um, description of being a paid driver at Williams, Mr. Pastor Maldonado, and that he will be crashing cars. A lot of times he'll feel <laughs> under the pressure, not able to keep up with his more experienced teammate and continue to make mistakes. Uh, and nonetheless, he will earn his keep just because he helps fund. He helps fund the development, doesn't he? Yeah. Uh, Ryan? I was, just, I was just thinking, will, will he show up to Formula One and then it, it will just be a Takayuni or a, 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 a Ricardo Rosset or something like that? I honestly think... If he, qualifies, if he qualifies seven seconds off the pace in his first race, <laughs> there's going to be a lot of giggles up and down the, the pit lane right, I, in I, Australia. I, I don't think it's going to happen. I honestly don't think it's going to happen because there's a reason why Ian Wright's kids, uh, even though they're adopted ended up being premiership stars there, there's a reason beyond genetics that the sons of famous sportsmen end up and it's because the level of training you get at every stage the level of preparation you get at every stage as much as lewis hamilton says it helped his hunger because of where he came from why are most musicians who make it sons or nephews of of rich people why do they come in with money because they're not really having to worry about where their next meal is coming from they are focusing completely on the task and i think you'll find that lance stroll has known that he is going to f1 for a very very long time other drivers have had to concentrate on every single tier they've gone through whereas for him the goal has always been f1 everything he's done is going towards formula one i think people are going to be surprised about how well prepared he is on pace alone you may have a point about the racecraft ken but i think on pace alone i expect him to hit the ground running now matt speaking of future talent in formula one we were very very privileged to catch up with jordan king who is currently a gp2 driver and he seemed we've got an interview coming up with him right now he wouldn't he wouldn't take the bait he wouldn't answer the question directly but he seemed very optimistic about a place in f1 he did seem but no you you could not you could not egg him on to pulling a gasly this is true <laughs> okay let's play that interview now this is Downforce Radio. Hi, we are joined in the shed by real-life Formula One development driver Jordan King. Hi, Jordan. Hi, how are you? Uh, very good. Jordan, can I start with the lamest possible question? Because I never spoke to an F1 driver before, and the eight-year-old version of me from 1989 wants to ask, is driving an F1 car the most incredible thing in the world because it looks brilliant? Yes, it is. Yeah, definitely, 100%. So you've driven an F1 car before in testing in Silverstone, but surely this was different when you were in Austin because you had the track filled with regular F1 stars, the crowd was buzzing, it's a competitive weekend, you're on the proper telly. Yeah, it's it's the next step, it's the big thing, it's the one you can't kind of miss really. You know, the first thing I drove out the pits and Sebastian Vettel was behind me, you know, and, and as, a, you know, as a young kid, that's quite a... Quite a special moment, but I suppose I'm not as young as I used to be when I first started watching Formula One, and, and it's all a reality now. 
So Matt was saying to me earlier, unless Sebastian Vettel yells at you for being in the way, you know, are you really an F1 driver? Did he did he yell at you? Did he manage to get in his way? I I, I don't think I class myself as a proper F, F1 driver. One, because as you said, Sebastian hasn't yelled at me until I haven't done a race yet. So uh, I'm not claiming that one just yet. Well, I don't know. The timetable did did say did put you above um, Ocon. Uh, so would you say that you're objectively better than him? Oh, you, you can't you can't say that. You know, all, all the drivers in Formula One are very good drivers, and you know, as you see, it depends what day it is, and it depends what what you're doing in the sessions. I feel I'm I'm good enough to be there, but to go and say I'm better than everyone else is it wouldn't be a fair judgment on on either side. Oh, you failed to be goaded into my trap. That would have made a great headline. Uh, King claims to be better than Arcan. Um, but, but interestingly, the, the step up, obviously, from the lower formulas up into there, how, how quickly do you think you know, a young guy such as yourself can get into an F1 seat and be up to pace with even you know, a, your rookie teammate on the day? I think that's part of the, the talent, part of the trick of the trade, is getting up to speed quickly. You know, over the last 10 years, 12 years, it's what you've been working towards. There is no, you know, it's no accident that I've just suddenly turned up there. It has been over half my life working towards it. So you prepare yourself to be ready for for that one moment. Uh, Matt, I know you had some t- technical questions about how, how complex the cars were. Yes, are they complex? No, I, <laughs> I, actually what I, I'm really curious about is the, the level of data and feedback that you get in the Formula One car versus, say, GP2, which, which of course, is there, a, is there a level of difference that you noticed in the data? Um, of course there is. More from the side, you know, Formula One, Manor being the smallest team on the grid, have over 200 people, where a GP2 team doesn't even get up to 15. So... The difference is just massive. You know, it's a difference between one person versus a hundred people doing the same job. Whereas in Formula One, there's over seventy thousand data channels. So really, there's so many different avenues you can look at and details you can analyse. You know, even to a certain extent, you can overanalyze. There's that, there's that many channels. But it's a logical step. You start off down in karting where you've got two or three data channels, gradually moving up to Formula One, which has 70,000. So it's not an overnight jump where suddenly it stars in your eyes and you you feel like you've been (laughs) hit with a baseball bat. There is a logical progression. Yes, it does take some getting used to and and kind of extra brain power. But as I said, it's kind of 10 years in the making. So I guess in GP2, I mean, the, probably the most complex part to an extent is the driver. And so you're very, very important. D- does that pale a little bit as you go into the, the F1 team? Do you f- sort of feel almost more part of the team rather than the, the, the focus of the team? Uh, yes, definitely. There is that part of it. As I've always said when people have asked me about tests, I said it's not your test, it's the team's test which is the difference from junior formula. Junior formula, you turn up and the team wants to do the best job for you, where when you turn up in an F1 test, they're doing the best job for themselves. It's a very selfish sport in that sense, but it's not. You know, It's not selfish like you'd imagine in the school playground. It's, it's selfish in the right way. But that yeah. said, the, you know, the, squidgy bit, the squidgy bit sitting in the cockpit still makes the biggest difference. Okay, so speaking of the squidgy bit in in between my ears, that would be the the most the biggest thing for me to overcome. Because is there a big difference in how you approach a corner? Because presumably you're approaching it faster, and the corner's a lot closer before you break. Fundamentally, it's still a race car. 
you've got four wheels, you've got an engine, you've got a steering wheel and, and two pedals. So the principles are still the same. Yes, it's slightly different. The driving style is a little bit different, but overall it, it's still the same principle. You're driving a race car as fast as you can. Yes, there's some characteristics that you have to change, but if you if you can adapt quick enough, then you do a good enough job. And, and as part of that, when, when when they were sharing data with you, was there anything that you found more helpful or, or some new insight that you gained because you had access to more telemetry from the car? I don't think it's so much the in-weekend stuff because as a driver, you're focusing on your side of things and what's important to you. But then before the weekend and after the weekend, you know, the amount of data they can go into and, and give you before the race weekend. You know, the, the pre-race briefing that I got was half an inch thick with all the different bits of information I needed for the weekend and then uh. the debrief afterwards. So, so during the weekend, there's not much more because you're so focused on doing your thing and you ask the engineers what you want. But before and after, there's there's so much extra stuff that they can they can do, they can get, and and the speed of it as well. That was what I found most impressive was how quickly they can get the information to you, process it, and and tell you what it means and what it does. Where in in the junior formula, you know, that can take up to an hour or, or something like that. Where you know it's within milliseconds, within seconds, they can tell you live in Formula One, where you don't have to wait for it like in the junior formula. And they gave you the half-inch thick document, and you can just you can tell us just between us and the listeners. You read all of that, right? The whole thing. Of course, cover to cover. <laughs> I, I did. Actually. I, I, I did actually. It's not it's not as bad as you think, as it sounds. The the one that is bad is the uh, like the car manual. Um, the, the whoa, whoa, whoa! Like there's a manual. There's a manual for an F1 car, like a Haynes. There's a lot of lot of things we have to learn, but the way <laughs> I kind of pictured it is uh, is James Bond where. He gets the manual for his new Aston Martin, and it's the size of a, a very, very good book. And he just throws it into the air and shoots it. <laughs> that's, uh, that's kind of how I felt when I when I received the first manual. I just want to drive the racing car, but uh, but you seem to go very well. It seemed to go very smoothly. Now I'm not asking you to pull a Gasly here, but are you optimistic of an F1 drive soon, 2017? Look, it's what I've been working towards this year for ever since I sat in a cart when I was 10 so it's it's what I've wanted to do it's it's what I've been aiming for I'm as close as I've ever been but it feels like you're as far away as you've ever been and yes there's a possibility but how long is a piece of string I can make myself be in the best position as possible but um there's two signatures on the contract and it's getting the second one which is the hard one you know there's 22 seats in Formula One that's 22 of the best drivers in the world and that's not even a football team, you know. And there's over 22 footballers in the world that you'd consider amazing players, but yet only 22 can make it into Formula One. So, you know, you look at other formula and there's there's enough players in there to, to race a World Cup winning football team sort of sort of thing. It's it's not, not their chance to be in Formula One. And that's the way the sport is. It's, it's, a, it's a tough truth, but it's the way it's always been it's not going to change and there's there's other aspects of motorsport that can be can be of option as you see a lot of these drivers do go and do but for me formula one is the goal 
Well, do you know what I'm sensing, Jordan? And this is especially good for us because we are risking the prospect of only having one British driver on the grid next season. I'm sensing a quiet optimism, uh, but obviously we understand you have to be candid. Uh, Matt, you had a question? Uh, Yeah, well, I just wanted to ask in general, when you were driving, uh, what was the single biggest difference that you noted between, say, driving in the junior formula and driving the Formula One car but also, did you feel like the the ladder that you followed the, had prepared you for this step adequately? I'm not sure it's so much the ladder that's prepared me adequately. I think it's more myself, the people around me, the support I've had. You know, I've had support from the MSA, the governing body in the UK. You know, my family have been there ever since day one, whether it's even been just washing my clothes through to driving me to a horrible airfield converted <laughs> go-kart circuit in the middle of winter you know it, it's all built up over a long period of time I, i've had nutritionists along the way i've done fitness tests i've been on simulators you know i've, I've done a lot of stuff in the background i think i i worked out just for the 90 minutes alone i put in over 40 hours of work that's motorsport related yeah. not just the training the other stuff as well so you know for that one session alone i've I've put in a whole week's work of, of man hours. The, the junior formula, yes, it prepares you, but if you don't use it in the right way, the right tool, it it can be useless. You know, you see yeah. that with some drivers that they they don't practice for the final goal. They practice for the junior formula, and I, and I think it is very important to practice to be the world champion, not practice to win Formula Renault. That's an amazing attitude. And uh, with a young lad myself, who I want to be a Formula One driver, obviously, um, y- y- the parent's role is so is underrated, isn't it? You don't think about that day after day, the grind out on the cold winter days on the trackside. It's more the, you know, the support, because there will come a time where you look in the mirror and you go, can I do this? Should I be doing this? Am I good enough? You know, why am I doing this? So even even if it's not true to have someone <laughs> by your side who you yeah. trust and believe in, telling you it is true and you can do it is a massive support. And, you know, for me, my, my dad has always been very good in, in anything I've ever done. He's not pushed me, but he's been there to really encourage me and tell me it is possible. Mum has, has been the same. She's always been there, you know, taking me to football matches for the local clubs and and you know rugby matches and things on on Sunday mornings and I th- I think that's actually the most important thing that you don't realize whether it's motorsport or anything else in life whether it's just your school actually having someone that you trust and look up to yep. that believes in you because sometimes you won't always believe in yourself it seems like a lot of hard work, Jordan. I think my boy ha- might have to settle just for being an accountant or something like that. But would you mind helping us uh, with an argument? Because we never spoke to a, an F1 driver before. I know you're saying you're not an F1 driver, but you've done a test weekend, so you are to us. Did you have to happen to have an opinion on what happened in turn one in Mexico with you know Lewis and Nico running off and then Max running off later? Because where you were testing in Austin, they weren't enforcing track limits at all which side of that fence do you fall on uh point point blank put gravel trucks back it'll stop people going off it'll make the racing more interesting i don't i i personally can't see the argument that's going on with track limits there isn't an argument the white line's the white line don't go outside the white line other sports don't have a problem with it tennis rugby football athletics 
the white line is the white line. You go over it or you touch it, whatever the rule is, and you get the penalty. It, I I don't see why there's a some kind of discretion. Okay, clearly if you make a big mistake and you go off, you've had the punishment because you've run off, you've gone into the gravel. Yeah. But by being very ha- hazard with it, I I find it it creates a, a very what's the word a very very bad atmosphere around the subject it, it makes it vague doesn't it and it gives everyone a bit too much room to sort of argue and feel bad especially saw how upset Sebastian got about it so I'm assuming you would have had Lewis beached there or at least the threat of beaching on the gravel which would have made him break earlier but given that there was that runoff do you think that that should be a penalty because I was feeling like he's he's definitely he hasn't gained an advantage because he there was no overtake on him but he's gained an advantage in that he was able to hold on to the lead, even though he didn't make the corner. If it was gravel there, he would have had to hold on to the brake. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Flat spotted his tire. Probably would have just about made the corner, maybe picked the wheel off. He would have lost one place, maybe two, and had to fit for a new tire. So that's the true penalty of the mistake he made. Now, that's the joy of, of motorsport, that the penalties are so dangerous. You know, you're, you're toying with your life. That's why people come and, come and watch it. Where football, you, you, you make a mistake, the ball goes into Rose Dead, and everyone laughs it off, and it's all funny. But that's why motorsport's so exciting and why we love it, is that it's, it has the potential to throw out much more danger and much more excitement. But I think when you take away that side of things, Lewis jumped out the brake, ran across the corner... He actually came out the corner four or five seconds in front of Zico yep. and then back off to give time back. Now, people are saying, well, he didn't have a lasting advice because he cut the corner, kept the position. If if there was a wall there, if it was Monaco, it would have been race over. So, of course, there was an advantage because he jumped out the brake. Now, I know as a racing driver, you want to take every bit of advantage you can and you will use track limits if you're allowed to. Of course, you want to go as fast as possible. But I think if they... Yeah, if Lewis got a five-second penalty, point blank for that. One, if he knew it, he wouldn't have braked. Yep. Uh, wouldn't have come out the brake. He would have slowed the car down. 
Or got back onto track two, quickly, yeah. Or got back on track quickly. Or, yeah. or two, he would have carried on once he got back onto track, driven as fast as he can, and knowing he had a five-second penalty, wouldn't have given that time back, would have just carried on going, right, I'm driving as fast as I can, and then that would have made it interesting from a different point of view. Nico would have had to have stayed within five seconds, and it would have been a challenge event for Lewis, and that was his penalty for making the mistake, not actually I've got away with everything here and, and kept the position. Yeah, but but Nico went off too, so he would have had the same five second penalty. And I and I think between him and Verstappen having contact made that particular move look worse than it is. But I'm curious because he said that he had actually his brake glazed going into the turn. Is that is that generally accepted in the paddock, or or do you think Mercedes was just trying to make it look good for him? Well, I I think the Rosberg thing is a completely different issue. Um, Max ran Nico out of road. He had nowhere else to go. So I don't think that was a five-second penalty. If you get pushed out the track and you have to avoid even an accident or something, I think that's a different different issue altogether. Lewis was under threat. He braked too late, locked up and, and cut the corner. Whereas if he braked early, because he had this glazed disc, Nico might have got at the inside or Max might have even got at the inside. I think the glazed disc issue is... A genuine issue we get it in gp2 you can get it in formula one but that's part of racing you have to compensate for a possibility of a glazed disc and break five meters earlier ten meters earlier your your opinion is very very similar to bradley philpot who we had on the show as well so i think racing drivers have seemed to be fairly united on just wanting you know clear lines L- let me let me know where i'm supposed to race don't make me kind of guess and then argue about it later uh, jordan you've been really really generous with your time uh, what's in store for you for the for the rest of the season we know you're a development driver but actually not many people know what that means well, hopefully I, uh, I'll i be out on a Friday morning sometime soon. Only time will tell. You know, really, it's, the season's coming to a close. So it's it's finalising everything. It's sorting out something for next year. Uh, as for next year, I am still a free agent. So, you know, it really is sorting out my plans for 2017, getting everything ready. And then the biggest thing over the winter is, is keep the fitness. I, I enjoy yeah. my athletics. So I... Uh, <laughs> I, um, Do you enjoy your Christmases as well, I, though, Jordan? <laughs> I, I, I will enjoy my Christmas, but not in the same way as most people, I don't think. I'll be getting up and uh, running across the muddy field somewhere. <laughs> but, but presumably you do sit back and you relax. And uh, let's say you're, you're in a local town and some local ladies ask you what you do for a living. How do you drop the bomb that you're a racing driver? How does that go down? Because I would love to just turn around and go, me, I'm an F1 development driver. I uh, I don't I don't say it. I never do. <laughs> Too <laughs> I, modest. Uh, I always make I always make something up. When my sister was at uni, I just used to say her story. So whatever she was doing, <laughs> I used to use her story. Uh, when I've not in the past not wanted to say what I did for a living, I used to say that I was a dolphin trainer. I had an amazing backstory. So you're welcome to take that, Jordan. Uh, the the other one is a stay at home son. I got that one off uh, <laughs> Hangover. Whereas, like, what you do is I'm a stay-at-home son, which sounds quite, <laughs> quite funny on my It's been a pleasure talking to you, Jordan. Uh, look, do us a favour. Uh, when you're a famous F1 star, is there any chance you could stoop as low as visiting the podcasting shed on Miss Apex Podcast again? I, I think you're you're lowering yourself unfairly here. I'm, I'm sure if you give me a call, I'll be able to pick the phone up. <laughs> Thank you very much, Jordan King, for joining us. No problem at all. Thank you very much. So, Matt, he was very, very generous with his time. And I have to thank Laura, who helped hook that up for us, because 
given the problems we had connecting with him on the road, they could easily have turned around and said, no, we're not going to speak to you or no, now we've only got 10 minutes. But for him to sit there and talk to us on the phone for half an hour was fantastic. It was brilliant. And he offered a lot of insight, especially I I loved learning about his preparation for the drive at Austin, as well as hearing about what it was really like to be in the car. Unbelievable. A whole like week of man hours just for that 90 minute session. I suppose we shouldn't be surprised, but we we just hear about it. We sort of tend to think, oh, the lad's just popping into the car for 90 minutes. But no, no, that, that has been like a solid couple of months of prep. Yeah, it is. And that's like kind of the TV sports fallacy where you just cut on the TV and see people doing things. So it looks easy. You see them in the car, but you have it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the preparation these drivers undergo physically and mentally and all and special training too, driver coaching. He did all of that stuff just for 90 minutes in a car. And he kind of backed up the point we were saying about Lance Stroll, which is that he has had his eye on the prize of F1 as well you know he, he's a guy of, of talent and means and he has been looking to f1 from a long way off uh but but conversely to what we've heard from lance stroll what a humble bloke you know the fact that he's saying you know he he can't consider himself an f1 driver sorry sorry mate sorry jordan you drove in a competitive formula one weekend in a formula one car you're an f1 driver as far as i'm concerned but he just can't bring himself to get to say it and i don't know i just found him very very humble i think that's the kind of guy we want in the paddock Absolutely. Very approachable, open and and willing to tell you what he thinks without it sounding like someone had coached him how to say it properly to avoid offending anyone. I was gutted that he he disagreed with a lot of the track limits talk, but never mind. I wasn't going to pick a fight with him considering he might be an F1 driver next year and we want him back on. Shall we go to some big dirty news? We shall. Big dirty news. I'm going to hand over to you, Matt, my man, because we had two major bits of news for Formula One coming through. One, there was a press release from Liberty Media that ran 400 pages long. I'm not going to lie, I didn't read it. Please don't feel the need to tell us every single thing that was in it. Yes, Ryan, that face sums up exactly how I felt when I found out about it. Also, obviously, the Ross Braun thing where a lot of stories ran that he had, he was basically in post and in charge of Formula One from now until forever until he had to come out and go, no, not, not quite. What's the story? Which way do you want to go? Which, way, which thing do you want to start on? Well, actually, I'd like to start on a thing that we didn't put in there, but has been what's apt to me by one of your writers about Patronus. <gasps> I know. Ooh. And Mercedes and, and the sudden rearrangement of all of the all of the fuel sponsorships. And so it might be worth mentioning that yeah. we are hearing some reports that Patronus might be leaving the sport. And that might be tied to the, yes, I know, I'm not saying they're confirmed. I'm just saying we are hearing. That might be related to the possible loss of the Malaysian Grand Prix. They may not be leaving this year, but it might be in the cards. And at the same time, we had the big news that BP is now going to be partnering McLaren and not Mobile One, as has previously been the case. What's, Ken, you were laughing. What's wrong Alice, with you, Ken? Alice, Alice, tell us what's on your so mind. Hilarious. If it's that funny, that I got to hear it. It is that not hilarious. That That is – so from what I'm hearing on that rumor is that um, Patronus is, is, is laying down their cards and saying, hey, if there is not a Grand Prix – 
in Malaysia at Sepang. We're pulling out of F1 and oh, yeah. see you later F1. So figure out what you want to do there, Bernie. That's that's just gamesmanship at a very high level. I, I find that hilarious, but maybe I'm a jaded um, uh, older American. You, you tell me, am I reading that wrong there, my friends? Sounds good to me. It sounds a lot like the Gutierrez uh, has negotiations. This is their version of declaring they've signed Magnuson. Your move, Gutierrez. Your move, F1, Ryan. I was just wondering if uh, McLaren are going to have BP, does that mean that uh, they'll just go straight onto the start finish straight and then there'll be a giant oil sleep coming out the back of the uh, McLaren? Ooh, too, too <laughs> soon. Too litigious. Is it, is it too soon? No, I think it, it's not litigious. It definitely happened. Craig? <laughs> At least time they're all, this time they're all stick will be sponsored. I get some money back for it. Yeah, well, it actually is quite a story because for the longest time, McLaren has had Mobile One as their sponsor. And twenty five years, isn't it? Something like yeah, that. Yeah, quite some time. And and a lot of the reporting I saw had Mobile One is is being stolen from McLaren, and that BP was was something they arranged when they knew this was coming. But I'm just curious, given how important we've seen fuel incremental fuel upgrades to be to the overall performance of the engine whether or not they haven't actually gone out and stolen a fast one as bp's not been directly involved in the sport in some time yeah ryan i was just wondering because obviously um don't mclaren also have esso as a uh, sponsor yeah mobile uh, one and esso are the same company they're all part of the same all right, okay because i was i was gonna say if uh if esso there would be sort of anyway whatever <laughs> Right. on so, mobiles and both. Okay. So, so Matt, um, yeah. you're uh, the guy that's most familiar with the regulations for 2017. What are the regulations in regards to the um, fuel? Uh, is it that the fuel has to be set at the very beginning of the year and it, and it goes on so that there's not this this fuel um, race or competition going? What's what's the status? I believe they're allowed five specifications of fuel for the entire season. I had to look this up when I was replying to someone's tweet about two weeks ago. So I could be off by a specification or two. What I can't recall off the top of my head is whether it all, they all have to be set at the beginning of the season or whether they're allowed to introduce them throughout. But it, this year it's basically been unlimited and it's gone to actually five. And boy, you know, I, I had all prepared for this show. There are some interesting new things in the regulations um, that we should be talking about, if not this week, then very, very soon before others get on to them. Okay, tell you what, why don't you and Ken quickly summarize those regulations in a few minutes uh, before going on to the Liberty press release. I'd just like to take this opportunity that, of course, we're not making light of some of the tragic events that surrounded the BP oil leak. But if you would like to give us the executive summary of those two things, of the regulations and the Liberty media thing, being sure to take questions from the crowd. So uh, let me just interrupt then and say, Matt, before you jump into the regulations, then it sounds like in regards to the petroleum, the fuel suppliers, that if you're limited to just five specs, then that that at least limits um, what what should I say the the, the development budget that a supplier um, and and it it makes it a lot easier to bring in a new supplier such as BP, and then generally, you, 
that's a good thing because the nature of these engines, and I tend to take a contrary view, I think the real um, interesting technical developments in the power units has really come on the petroleum uh, internal combustion engines and what they're doing inside uh, to, to um, inside the combustion chamber. And a lot of that is you have to work hand in hand with your fuel supplier. And, and overall, that's really kind of a, a good thing. Regulations, they're either for safety or for controlling costs. And that seems like five specs would make it easier for a new fuel supplier to come in like BP has done. Right. And and as far as regulations go, there's a lot of interesting stuff in the upcoming regulations. But the thing that I spotted was that when I was breezing through the technical regulations looking for these fuel specs, I found that same chart. You remember the chart? Of course, you don't because you don't look. But for those of you who looked at the chart, there was a chart of included and excluded parts for token upgrades. And it's still in the regulations, except for now, instead of token upgrades, they're talking about financial boundaries. And they have for the first time in the proposed regulations, I won't say these are approved, but they are proposed, set a baseline price level and year over year, like the first year down, you pay 1 million less for your engines and so on and so forth. So for the first time ever, I'm seeing that the FIA is stepping in to regulate the price that manufacturers, engine man, power unit manufacturers can charge to teams and to customer teams specifically, and it's a year-over-year -year decreasing rate. And those are proposed regulations that I have yet to hear anyone talk about. I'm not really prepared to discuss them at length because, of course, I had just seen them and thought, oh, that'll be great for a future show. But in a nutshell, that's what it is. That that's in the wild zone, I'd say. That's big news. Interesting. I'm glad you spotted that. Yes. Well, like I said, if were it not for Twitter, <laughs> I'd be just bl as blissfully ignorant as everybody else about that. Oh man. So what else? We were going to talk about Ross Braun. Ross Braun, interestingly enough, was said to have accepted a position working alongside Bernie Eccleston running Formula One. Except for that turned out not entirely to be true. Yeah, Craig? Well, it's as much as I like Ross Braun to come back to the sport and in a sort of role, a sporting regulation role more than anything else, I don't see him as a commercial director or a commercial manager at all for the sport. Um, but it's just the one point I'd like to make is it's very convenient that all this story broke at the same time he's got a book coming out. Anybody else find that convenient? <laughs> you cynic. <laughs> That's, just, that I'm just is... an old man. <laughs> That is very cynical of you, uh, from one cynic to another. <laughs> I mean, it, it is. Ross Braun is a great character, and he's been involved in the sport for so long, and he's had so much success. And um, uh, BBC Radio 5 Live did a great hour-long interview with him, but you could tell that he was shying away from those questions of like, well, I've done a little bit of consultation, but that's about it, just trying to bed them in and just sort of swept under the carpet. But anyway, let me talk about my book, was the kind of um, conversation it was, and... You know, that really annoys me because the Liberty Media thing could be so much yeah. better than yeah. that. And it's just it just feels like it's a bit political in the fact that, that 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 sort of story came out and it's it's just I am maybe I am just cynical. Maybe I've just seen too many of these stories before. But you make well, it, it, Go ahead, Spanners. 
you make a good point about being excited that Liberty Media were going to sort of move things along. And that was my first thought. It's like, yeah, Ross Braun, he's a great guy. He's a respected individual. But this is the guy who's had his long career. He's, he's seen the old F1, if you like. He's moved away from it for a few years. So instead of taking sort of a bold leap forward with sporting regulations, do we, do we have a danger of just you know, sticking in the past and, and not moving up, not keeping up with new technologies, not having sporting regulations that take advantage of new te- interesting technologies and new, you know, you know what I want. I want the electronic nanny on the track limits, but that's a fight for another day. Matt, does, did you, I didn't see it really as a positive move forward for F1. I saw it as the safe thing to do to placate shareholders, the safe thing to do to placate fans. Right. So aside from you being utterly mental and wrong about track limits... <laughs> In an electronic, it's like it's like ping pong. It's just like ping pong. No, we're not going to talk about track (laughs) limits. Here's the interesting thing: when they actually asked Braun about it, his actual language was as follows: He hasn't accepted a position from Liberty, and as Craig pointed out, he did, however, let drop he had been doing some consulting for them in the run up to the purchase of Formula One, which is kind of interesting. And you might wonder if he just kind of left the word "yet" out of that statement. Yeah. But as, as far as his role with Formula One, if he's going to be sort of a sporting or technical director, he was already talking about three and five year plans as being what he'd like to do. And given the highly reactive and ill thought out nature of the vast majority of regulation changes we have seen over the past two years and frankly for much longer, I think it would be nothing but good for the sport to have someone focusing long term on where it wants to go, how it's going to get there and how to make the playing field level enough to drive the narrative and the viewers and keep them in the sport. Ken. Yeah. And not only that, I, I think so the, in the way that I read that denial that uh, I have been offered a position, etc., is that um, he would, be a primary candidate for Liberty and, and, and also that um, he's not going to be a candidate for the commercial side. He's, that's not his forte that, um, that it looked to me, what I, what I saw, what I heard in that interview is that they're going to divvy up the responsibilities. There's going to be a guy leading the sporting part of the Formula One organization, another guy leading the commercial side of the Formula One organization, perhaps somebody like Zach Brown, who happens to be at Liberty, if I may use that term. But in any case, back to Ross Braun, the the thing that, that's most interesting about him, besides him being, I think, very appropriate, and I got to disagree uh, with Spanners on this. He, he How dare you? has been a... He's been away for a little bit, you know, granted you that point, but he is still very much in tune with what the technology is today. After all, he is the guy that set up uh, basically the team that is Mercedes today and and what they're doing now. And more importantly, uh, he has been in situations where there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of reactive um, actions at, like Matt alluded to, which is what we're seeing right now, seemingly from the Formula One organization. Like, oh, gee, what can we do to increase Formula One, make it better? Well, 
let's make the cars five seconds a lap faster. That's what people must want. Okay, we are running long now, so we are going to move on to what I wanted to talk about, which was the last race and the next race. Okay, so in the Mexican GP, a lot of people had their wishes come true because everyone complains about chocolate tyres, Ryan. Everyone complains about DRS, push to pass. Well, everyone complains about big wide track limits. But surely everyone had their dreams come true. We, the, the people who give us these complaints time after time want the tyres to last. Well, they did. We don't want push to pass. Well, the stadium section separated them all out to make... Uh, the DRS irrelevant and, and turn, uh, overtakes into turn one impossible. There was grass on the limits. There was some gravel uh, out there. So this is the kind of race we got. We got a bit of a procession. We got a race where it was very hard to overtake. Is, is this what you want? You're 19 years old, 18 years old. Is that the kind of racing you want as opposed to, you know, the sort of race we get at Bahrain, for example? Well, it was, it was a pretty entertaining race, I reckon, especially with... Uh the uh, spice that happened towards the end of the race with uh, <laughs> the uh, Ferrari and uh, Res- Red Bull. Yeah. But, uh, you, you know, obviously uh, it was a bit like a curry. Started off a bit uh, bit bland start off with, but had a bit of spice towards the end. Uh, <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Craig, you, you haven't been drinking as much as Ryan, and you probably remember this sort of golden olden days where you used to have races where you could just kind of watch the start and then come back 20 laps from the end to see what was going on. Now, is that the kind of racing you prefer or the sort of racing we've had in the last two or three seasons? I'm not going to be able to follow that curry analogy. I'll no, try my best, but that you, was very good. You can try I don't know what I've just said now. <laughs> <laughs> I am, yeah, I am I am of an age where I can remember several decades of Formula One. Um, it was very much a classic Grand Prix in the fact that there was one team faster than all the rest and everyone seemed to sort of filter out and visually it was very old school as well because there was mm-hmm. a lot of grass a lot of a lot of walls there was a stadium section which used to get the big grandstands that were full um so it's still not the kind of racing that i want because it wasn't bunched up but then that racing i don't think has ever really existed i think it's existed in races but not over seasons yes. and i think people get roast into glasses because of that yeah um but it was it, it, the tire thing i can see where you're coming from i can see that it was great to see teams push hard because i think pirelli's um, recommendation for the number of laps on the medium tire was 111 laps. Right, that's more than, that's a lot of laps. They, they is... didn't even have a recommendation. They, they were, yeah. Yeah, there you go. So they just they were just like, just yeah, just go run them. Um, I think that you've got to look at Formula 1 in the fact that it's never going to be where everyone wants it. It's going to be where some people want it. It's mm-hmm. going to be where some other people want it. It's never going to be where everyone wants it. So it's it was an older type race, but just... It's it didn't it apart from all the stuff on the radio and 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 people going off track and everyone arguing over what penalties should be handed out. Take that away. What was it? It was just a standard not 2016 Grand Prix. And that's exactly why you'd want someone like Ross Braun in charge of your sporting and technical side because <laughs> he alone has the gravitas to command the respect of all the teams. For which I will hold up the Malaysia race in 2013 where Rosberg and Hamilton kept trading the lead back and forth until Ross got on the radio and said, cut it out, lads. This is how you're going to finish, and I will sort it all out later. And everybody trusted him. 
There's no one to do that right now in this sport. So the teams squabble and you've got these back and forth, these ping pong regulations that wind up helping one team or the other. I mean, for example, Christian Horner has been livid that he wants severe track limits, and he will be exactly livid about that until either Verstappen or Ricardo gets <laughs> caught out by said track limits, and then he will be exactly against it and demand it to be changed instantly, or his whole team will leave the sport. This is what we've been up against, and this is why we need someone to properly run this side to make a long-term plan that teams have to buy into, and everyone plays on the the same playing field that's when the sport will start turning up the kind of racing that we all really want to see so two points there one i would like to see ross Brown in that position but in that interview with the bbc he did say i'm not very good at polit- the political side i got polit- i got there was a political game at mercedes and i lost out and bernie you know bernie got me out of there that's what he was insinuating towards so if he does go in there he's got to play a very astute game and i don't know if he's got the energy to be doing something like that anymore. He's always said that he doesn't want to do that for terms of running a team. Mm-hmm. So running a sport might be even a bigger task. And secondly, can we all point out a season where every single car has been as competitive as the other? There's always going to be those incremental levels of tenths and yeah. two, three tenths. I can think of one season maybe, and I'm probably looking at that through. Yeah, 2012, I'll give you that, where all the yeah. all the regulations sat there. And probably 97, that was the one that glued me in. I'm watching that at the moment, going back through all the old races. You know, every team bar two got a podium that year or led a race or did really well. And they were where all the seasons were, where, where that racing was there and was comp- like competitive. But it's once in a blue moon. 2007, you show if you put a get competitive Ferrari and saddle it with Massa and Kimi Raikkonen, then that kind of gives it enough negative ballast to allow the second team McLaren to come through. Yeah, but I only love Formula One with Ferrari doing really badly and they all just implode. It's so good. I'm a 90s kid. I saw that for a decade. So that's what I'm used to. That's why this year is so much fun. All right then, Craig, let me ask you the question flat out then. Because now when people say, oh, we don't want all these things, we can point to, we don't like chocolate tyres, you can point to Mexico and say, right, is that the kind of race you want? Is that the kind of race you want? Do you want to hark back to 1997? Yeah, that's the problem with Formula One these days, is you need the variables to make it competitive. And if everyone, if you don't have refuelling, which is what was doing it for a long time, or run heavy, and there would be differences in the speed that way, you need something where the teams have to plan their strategy around around so tires is there at the moment they have to make a stop so they have to run both sets of tires and in 2012 2013 until 2013's regulations changed when they had all those punctures that's what that's what it was you'd have drivers like Sergio Perez who could run heavy fuel loads on the harder tire and then switch on the light when his fuel load was lighter run the softer tire and be incredibly fast because that's what the strategy they had in place that was a way that they could work around the regulations if you take away these variables you're going to have a noah's Ark grid you're going to have two by two by two and the incrementals are going to be massive you're going to have mercedes you're going to have red bull you have ferrari they're probably going to be a second apart and then all of a sudden you're in 90s f1 again when you had mclaren going two seconds quicker than anybody else and then williams being two seconds below behind them but two seconds ahead of benetton so you've You've got to keep adding these things in. And I hate to use the phrase spicing up the show to yep. make sure that it is competitive because you, then you do get successors like Force India who have a small budget and are extremely efficient, but they know what they have to do to get ahead. Right. And this is where we are now with the convergence of the teams under fairly stable technical regulations. 
is that as the regulations go on and the teams get closer, less meddling is needed to enhance that. We had mass dampers banned. We had Frick banned. We had the Apduck ban. All of these things were done to try and bring the field closer and to keep them from spending lots of money chasing, you know, tenths of a second down a rabbit hole. But what's interesting when you bring up the tires and especially the chocolate tires, one of the biggest issues, and even in Mexico, we saw this, even though the tires lasted a long time, the teams were still very much at pains to manage them, to keep them in their thermal window. And I think one of the big changes, if I'm not mistaken about this for next year, is I think the tires themselves will operate in a wider thermal window, but they will have more degradation. And what really makes a race interesting is when you have the option of going an extra stop and adding on the pit stop delta time, but going faster versus carving off a stop, not quite going as fast, but being able to make the tires last at that particular speed long enough to be ahead. And and we haven't seen that because the teams have been caught up trying to manage the tires' temperatures, and that has limited the number of laps they can really push on them. Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think the tires the tires will always be the, the sticking point. Very good pun. Oh, then. oh, um, oh. <laughs> That wasn't Ouch. intentional. <laughs> there will always, always be the point where people will complain about them because they're not delivering what everybody wants them to deliver, which is strategy variety. And you've, you've, you won't, they will not get to that point without thorough testing, without in-season testing, without pounding through with a, a mule car that's within the regulations. They're always going to run an old car that's going to give them defective data, which probably would help the cause. But it's it's you need that variable to keep Formula One manageable yeah. in regards to competitiveness. And if tires won't do it, they have to bring back refueling. Otherwise, they're going to have to find something else. And, and it's the so- same it's the same battle that Formula E is going through as well at the moment, uh, which is why I would love them to just to go to removable batteries so they could really vary their stints, the amount of power they want to use, and treat that that could be Formula E's version of tires and make it extremely road relevant. Okay, guys, as we go to the end of the show. We have a race next weekend, which we will be here for a live stream, possibly on YouTube, probably here, but definitely you'll find out by going to spannersready.com forward slash live stream. All the information will be there. In any case, the video will be there. But let's find out what our panel think is going to happen in Brazil. Well, the podium next year, next year, the podium next week, could have a new world champion on it. Nico Rosberg could wrap up the World Drivers' Championship if he wins in Interlagos and Lewis Hamilton fails to finish. In fact, no, any win from Nico Rosberg will make him the world champion, and it is a track that Lewis Hamilton has never won before. What is the feeling at Badger HQ? In your Badger Burrows, are you talking about Nico Rosberg winning a world championship next weekend? Well, the numbers are in his favour, which is it's good. I'm, I'm, I, for me, I would love to see Nico Rosberg win the world championship Ooh. this year. But also, but for me as well, for me, if Hamilton was to come back and win this championship, it'd be his greatest championship victory. It would be incredible. So, I would either way, I'm happy because I think Rosberg deserves a world championship because he has put in some stellar performances this year. He's won races that. He's won races that he's never won before. <laughs> he has put in drives that he hasn't put in before in his career, for example, coming through the field at Malaysia. And he's had the edge of Hamilton in in 
sporadic parts of races where he hasn't had it before. Yes, Hamilton's had his problems. I will not, I will, I will not forget the fact that Lewis Hamilton has problems because I've heard enough of people talking <laughs> about them. I've heard enough people going, "Oh, there's going to be an asterisk next to Nico Rosberg's name if he wins the World Championship." Yeah, of course there is. You go through the history books; there's going to be loads of asterisks everywhere. Mm-hmm. That's uh-huh, Formula yeah. One. But I do think he's done enough to to win a World Championship this year. I think from Singapore onwards, he's driven really, really well. He's come back from the summer break with the right frame of mind. And um, I think I think he won't do it in Brazil. I think he'll do it in Abu Dhabi. I think Hamilton will win in Brazil, but Rosberg will get that second place and will just follow it on to Abu Dhabi. I just think it's just going to run down. The, the chances for Hamilton is just going to run out and Rosberg knows what he's got to do. Yeah, trumpets uh, detail at length why Craig is wrong and why he is, in fact, an enemy of the British people. Boo! Well, well, I'll tell you what I think will happen. I think it will rain. <laughs> yeah, well, that'll be good. Too. And then I think Hulkenberg, having put it in third position, will take Hamilton out halfway through the race. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> that already happened, didn't it? 2012, baby. Yeah, remember when he drove mm. for Williams? That was like, a, sorry. You were asking me what I thought would happen. No, I, I would love the following scenario. I would like to see it rain and Rosberg have trouble with his tires. And I would like it to go to Abu Dhabi, an honest to God toss up. That's what I would like to see. Because that's going to, that means the viewers will turn in. We happen to have had a recent world championship here in our United States yep. playing the better form of cricket known as baseball. Ridiculous. Where we had sport. a team that hadn't won for 108 years, playing a team that hadn't won for 47. And everyone in the country pretty much watched the last game when it was finally decided because it's a best of seven series. And this is what Formula One needs. You need that kind of a narrative to keep people turning in. So for me, the ideal scenario would be it gets booted to Abu Dhabi and it's close enough that Rosberg has to do better than just finish second to win. And and Ryan, this is not impossible because if it does rain, we know that this season, for whatever reason, when it's been damp, Nico Rosberg cannot turn his tyres on. He doesn't push them hard enough. Silverstone, harassed by Max Verstappen, eventually overtaken. Monaco could ended up finishing seventh. Now, if he does finish seventh, that puts us in a great position for Abu Dhabi. Yeah, it does, but... Uh... I pref- I preferred it when Brazil was the last uh, race of the season. Yeah, I did. Because yeah. it's the be- it's the better circuit, and it's all it always produces drama. It always produces an exciting race. The fans where... as well; they're incredible at Bra- in Brazil. Yeah, and the fan atmosphere is brilliant, and all that sort of stuff. And it is just like the perfect circuit to end uh, a season on. Where Abu Dhabi is just it's so much of a much really. Ken. Give me predictions. Tell me what is going to happen in Brazil. So I don't even have to well, watch I, the race because I know what Vortex Mortio said. Mortio. I, I hope that my prediction is much of a much, really. But uh, I, I'm predicting that really it's all down to Mercedes' reliability because I think that, as Craig said, Nico is doing the job right now. He is doing a world champion's job. And, and to Lewis's credit, He's doing it as well. But at this point, Nico has the advantage. And so if his car is reliable, uh, he's going to win the world championship. I mean, and, and I look in particular just even at the last race where on the weekend in the free practice sessions, he wasn't able to to get his car to work well on the tires. And he kept working and working at it. And on the one lap in Q3, 
when he had the opportunity, he nailed it. That's a world championship performance. And then when he had Red Bull, whoa, 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 no, 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 sorry, whoa, whoa, whoa. hang on a minute. What, what? He nailed it. You mean he just about beat the second best team? You mean nailed it, as in finished three tenths behind his teammate instead of five tenths? Wow, we are damning him with very faint praise. I have My... to say, the bar that people are setting to say that Rosberg is a worthy world champion is so low. It is so low. My my very, very young friend who is a <laughs> rabid Lewis fan, I love you dearly. And yet we should look back through history that a championship is won on performances like we saw on that one lap in Q3. He had one last chance and he was able to make it work. He did enough to make sure that he's going to win the world championship. And then on Sunday in the race, he had Max Verstappen coming at him hard and he asked his engineer a great question he didn't cry and cuss to charlie whiting instead he asked his engineer is he when is when is max going to stop he was thinking only about his tires how fast how much do i need to use my tires to keep my position and he did what he needed to do on sunday to keep his position Max was, uh, he was able to hold Max off. It was, I thought, when you look through history at world champions and what they do to win championships, on days when they're not the very fastest, they do what's needed to to maintain that championship lead. My prediction is it's all up to Mercedes reliability. So if Lewis may be faster because he's awake and he's on his game, uh, not quite the way he was last year, but Nico uh, will be on the podium. And if he's not in first, he'll be in second. That's my prediction. And where can people find incorrect opinions on Nico Rosberg's championship worthiness from you, Vortex Mortio? I'm at... <laughs> <laughs> I am at Vortex Motio on the Twitter sphere. V-O-R-T-E-X-M-O-T-I-O. I expect to be hammered horribly this week. Thank you. You're a horribly underfollowed person. Make sure you do follow Ken. Uh, enemy of the people, Craig Norman from Badger GP. Where can people find you? Uh, I'm on the Twitter machine, which is at Craig Norman F1. Uh, and also you can catch us at Badger GP. Uh, keep your eyes tuned on the BadgerGP.com website this week. We've got plenty of great features coming up. You always have. I like that site. Ryan Ferret Ferris, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at ferret115, that is IT, not ET. Matt. At MattPT55 on the Twitters. And of course, go buy my wife's books What's so that the... I can one day own a Ferrari. What's the latest book called? My husband wants a Ferrari. <laughs> Good question. It was the last of historical novels. I can't bring it to mind right now. Make sure you follow at Amanda. Weaver writes. No, it's not. It's at a Weaver writes on Twitter. And I just want to say a massive thank you to the patrons. I know I didn't get around to mentioning the chat in the members area, but I definitely will next week. It's been lovely talking to some of the patrons in there. Support us at patreon.com if you think we're doing a good job. Check out the writers at www.spannersready.com. New lad, Alex Griffin has come in and just bossed it. The other lads have realized they've got to step their pace up. So Stephen Williams, uh, Fortis, Carlo Caluccio, and Michael Cords. Still very, very good. I still kind of like them, but we've got the new shiny. But check us out there. Follow me at SpannersReady on Twitter 
And remember, that wounds heal, chicks dig scars, and glory lasts forever. I'll see you in Brazil. Serves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi. I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.